Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. As believers, we are called to fight, but we're called to the good fight. We do that by using the spiritual weapons God has given us in His Word and in His presence. As we fight His way, we'll gain the victory for His glory and our gain. And now here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, Effective Warfare. Hatred does not make you strong, but this is how the world fights. They fight with hatred. All you need to do is go on Facebook and you'll know how they fight with hatred and bullying. They fight with threats, which is bullying. They fight with intimidation, with a show of force, with strategies and plans and espionage, spying, hearing everything that the enemy is doing and saying. And if we just know their plans, they fight with weapons, with guns, with knives, with tanks, and they're practiced in the art of warfare. They're professional fighters. This is what they do. They go on Facebook and they fight and they fight and they lie and they slander and they fight and they fight. They go on the media and they fight. We as believers are called to fight, but we're called to the good fight. And we are to fight by using the spiritual weapons that God has given us. We fight by his word. We fight by faith in his word as we believe his word. We fight with his presence and with his favor towards us and with his instructions and by obedience to those instructions. And these weapons that he has given us are absolutely effective. Why does God withhold the other weapons from us? Why can't we lie? Because it's ineffective in the end. Because in the end, it will lose the battle. You know, why can't, why can't we use swords? Because in the end, it will lose the battle. He has given us the most effective weapons. They are mighty. And God knows how mighty they are. That's why the enemy wants to tell you that. You're going to use that against me. Because inside, he's cowering at the mighty weapons that God has given us. They are mighty and they pull down. They're 100% effective in pulling down strongholds. They cast down strategies and arguments. They take captive and they punish all disobedience. 
We see this in Joshua 11 in a physical form. What is the spiritual reality that the weapons that God has given us are mighty, are stronger, are better. You see, we just need to receive and understand how great our weaponry is, how great the sword of the Spirit is, how great the helmet of salvation is, how great the breastplate of righteousness is, how great the shield of faith, which is able to quench every fiery dart of the devil, how great our shoes are that are the gospel of Jesus Christ. All our weaponry is for going forward, forward, advancing, taking hold of the promises of God, taking the land for God. The problem is that we as Christians are often drawn to the instruments of the flesh. Why? Because they are so readily available. Yelling is just right there. But Cheryl, you can yell. Yell. I can yell. They're just right there. You know, I think back at Star Wars, where Luke is standing before the evil emperor. And, you know, there's that light lightsaber. It's just right there. The emperor says, you want it, don't you? I can feel it in you. Take it. Get into the hatred, Luke. And Luke's like, oh, I feel that so much. Cheryl, you could yell. <laughs> you know? Cheryl, you can lie. <laughs> it's so strong. And it's drawing me in. Why? Because it's right there. It's right here. It's right before me. I can grab it. I don't even have to pray about it. In fact, if I pray about it, I won't use it. It's just right there. It's so readily available. And it looks like so strong. I mean, it glows. It intimidates. I mean, you saw what he did before. It's right there. And it seems to have an immediate effect. I mean, think what it did with all those guys in the white outfits. <laughs> their heads, their limbs are just flying off. You know, it, it, it's just immediate. I yell, everyone goes, hey, we're out of here. Just leave her alone. She's yelling. I scream, I cry. Everyone's like, it's get away from Cheryl Day. It has an immediate effect. But God is calling us to remove these weapons from the arsenal of our heart, to take them out, to make it so hatred is not an option. Anger is not an option. Yelling is not an option. Lying is not an option. Slander is not an option. We need to get them out of our heart. In fact, we need to hamstring them so that these things cannot be used to fight we need to burn them completely so we can't go back to them. In Joshua 11, we see that the battle intensifies. We've got the kingdom of Hazor. Now, Hazor is the dominant king 
of Canaan. He's the one that all the other kingdoms look to and are intimidated by. He's the strongest. He's the one that rules them all. So when he calls the other kingdoms, the ones that are left, to fight against Israel, they all come together in a line. One huge federation, Jodab, king of Madon, then the king of Shimron, king Akshaf, the kings of the north, the kings of the mountain, the kings of the south plains, the kings of the lowland, the kings of the heights, the kings of the east and west and Canaan, Canaan, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Hivites. They all answer the call from Hazar and they align together against Israel, all their armies, all the men of battle. These are soldiers and it's a great multitude. It can't even be counted. It can't even be counted. There's so many as far as any Israelite can see. All he sees is the enemy. Every place he looks, there's the enemy and they're armed and they're aggressive. They're aligned and they're, they're angry and they're ready to take Israel down and to kill them, to annihilate them. It reminds me not to keep using illustrations from movies, but in Lord of the Rings, when you see all those orcs, you know, as far as the eye can see, you know, I read the book and the book's not as terrifying as the movie, but when you see orc after orc and they are ugly, do we not agree? They're just like, and, and they're like gangly and there's so many of them. Every place you look, it's an orc. It's a lots of orcs and they're angry and they're, they're beastly. They're, they're like sharks. They have, they have no other impulse but kill and eat. And that must have been what it was like for Israel as they look out. Here is this angry army that has only one aim, and that is to wipe out, to kill every single Israelite. Some things haven't changed, have they? And they gather together and they camp at Merom. They camp within sight of Israel. Part of their strategy is to just intimidate Israel. I was reading and don't ask me why. Well, I know why I read the article. I read the article so I could have something to talk with Brian about and really impress him. It was an article on the fight between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. And Brian used to be a Golden Gloves boxer. So I thought, oh, I'm going to read this article. And then Brian will be so impressed that I know something about Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, who are two of the boxing greatest. And they had this bout that they fought in Africa. George Foreman was the heavyweight champion. And Muhammad Ali had his title taken away because he refused to go to war in Vietnam. And so he had been kicked out of the boxing world for a while. So he hadn't been boxing. So now he's coming back. And right away, they put him in the ring with George Foreman, the heavyweight champion. So Muhammad Ali does this week of absolute intimidation where he walks by George Foreman's hotel every morning, walking to Tigers. Every morning. Just like, yeah. Yeah. I can handle tigers and I can handle you. 
And they said that Muhammad Ali was more about the intimidation than even about the fight. And I hate to tell you this, but George Foreman, even though he made that great grill and named all of his children George and the girls George Jet, he lost. He lost. And those who witnessed the fight said it had much to do with the intimidation. And that's one of the greatest weapons of the enemy, just to simply intimidate. And this is what we see here, that they are intimidating. It's impressive. It's intimidating. They have the chariots all lined up. They've got the cavalry, cavalry, cavalry. They have it. The men are on their steeds and, and they're ready to do battle. And this is what Joshua has. He has the word of the Lord. Verse six, the word of the Lord. It says, the word of the Lord came to Joshua saying, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Verse six, this word contains an enablement. When God says, do not be afraid, he is at the very moment taking the fear out of us. Don't you love that? Because when someone tells me, do not be afraid, I often answer, why not? You know, what, what are you bringing to the table that's going to take away my fear? My, my youngest grandson, no. Yes, my youngest grandson. From the time he was two, he would come in the room and say, nobody worry. I've got it all under control. And you're like, okay, what did you break and what is going wrong? It's like the toilet's overflowing, but don't worry. I've got it all under control. I've taken all your towels, mom, and I'm wiping it up. That actually happened. <laughs> you know, don't worry. I've got it all under control. Well, I feel great when a three-year-old tells me that. It's like the fear is just gone. Let's go forward. You know, the first thing you do is panic. Or when your husband comes in and says, don't be afraid. You're like, okay, now I'm afraid. I wasn't before I was living a very happy life. I was drinking my coffee. It was great. But you came in, you said, don't be afraid. So now I know there's cause for fear. And you're about to tell me the cause for fear. You know, and right away, I'm like, is it the IRS? Is it, you know, what's the cause? Because there's a cause for fear whenever someone says, don't be afraid. But when God says, don't be afraid, and he's already given you the victory over the kings of the South, because he fought the battle, because he threw down the hailstones, because he routed the enemy. And God is now saying, do not be afraid. With this word, there's an enablement and an encouragement and the power not to be afraid. Don't you love it? I love it when God speaks peace to the Galilee. It's all full of churning and waves breaking. But Jesus says, peace. Peace where there is no peace. Peace where there's a deficiency of peace. He speaks his peace into it and the waves calm and the wind ceases. He speaks it into the situation and there is peace. When God looked at the darkness and said, let there be light, he spoke light into the deficit where there was no light and there's light. So when God says, do not fear, he is speaking courage 
into the fear and the fear has to leave because God is speaking his word in and there's no room. And he says, do not be afraid. This word also contains a promise. And I love that this promise has a time element, tomorrow. Oh, Lord, thank you for tomorrow. Do you realize that God has limited the power of the enemy, the scope of the enemy, and the time of the enemy? You know, they can get together and they can look really strong, but there is a time limit to the enemy. I was just reading in my personal devotions, Revelation chapter 19 this morning. And I love it when all of a sudden the heavens open and there's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on his white steed and on his thigh is written, you know, King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he is faithful and true and in righteousness he wages war. Oh, he's the only one that can rage war and righteousness. And his robe looks like it's dipped in blood because he has survived the wrath of God and the wrath of man. He is the ultimate conqueror over life and death. This, this is the time element. In chapter 19, it's like time's up. Time's up for the, for the forces of evil. Time's up. It's over. Jesus speaks, the army falls back, they're consumed, the Antichrist, the beast, and the serpent are captured. You got to get to chapter 20, then they're thrown into the pit. That part, I can't wait, that's tomorrow. There's God's involvement, his promise, I will deliver. Joshua, it's not predicated on you. It's not up to you. You don't have to be super strong because I know you're already 120 years old. It's not up to you. It's not about your strength, Joshua. It's not about your courage. It's simply about me and my promises. I will deliver. And Joshua would no doubt remember that the kings of the south, God made the same promise. And what happened? Again, the enemy was routed. The enemy was defeated. And then here's an instruction. You shall hamstring all their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Joshua has all he needs for victory against this huge horde. He's got God's word. He's got God's instructions. He's got God's involvement. In verses in 7, 8, we see the battle that Joshua goes on the orders of the Lord. He attacks suddenly. God's got a time element. Attack now. You see, before the enemy can throw his punch, Joshua goes forward. Joshua goes forward. They're all aligned in battle array. But it's Joshua that goes forward. He doesn't stand and wait for the enemy to fight, for the enemy to come at him. He goes forward. He runs at the enemy, just like David ran at Goliath with his sling. He goes forward. You see, sometimes we're just hiding and just waiting for the enemy to hit us. And the Lord is calling us to go forward with him, go forward with the gospel. He comes upon the enemy suddenly with the army of Israel. And we're told that the Lord delivered the enemy into the hand of Israel. And Israel ended up chasing the enemy to the brook of Mezrephoth and the valley of Mizpah. And they left none remaining. They're chasing down the chariots. They're chasing down the cavalry. You know, see, my mouth is so changed just to say Calvary. 
I pray for Calvary Chapel, every prayer, Calvary, Calvary. So when I have to say cavalry, throws me. But he chases them down and he does not stop short. We read about his obedience. He hamstrings the horses and burns the chariots. Now for those who are going, he hamstring the horses. And I know you're out there. What he did is he, they probably sliced the hamstring, but it did not kill the horses. It maimed them so they could only be used for agricultural purposes. They can still be ridden. They can still go to those wonderful horse farms. They can still be used for, um, you know, um, making more horses. (laughs) But they could not, they could no longer be used for warfare. Because you see, the natural propensity would be to take those horses and then use them in the next battle. And to begin to trust in those horses. Well, we got the horses. (laughs) Yeah, well, they might have that, but we got horses. You should see these horses. They're strong. They're invincible. To take those weapons and then begin to trust in the weaponry rather in the Lord. In fact, in Proverbs, it says, when you become rich, do not trust in your riches. How often when we get a little money in the bank account, we start to like, well, I got a savings account. Well, God knows how to deal with those savings accounts, doesn't he? Gives you a couple more bills. No chariots. They were to burn the chariots so that they would not take those chariots and use them, incorporate them into the army of Israel. In fact, you'll see a constant prohibition against chariots. Even when David had the army of Israel, there was not one chariot. He didn't use chariots. Again, it's too easy for Israel to begin to trust in the enemy's weaponry. So God says, burn it, hamstring it, so you won't even be tempted to use it. Because when you begin to trust in anything but the Lord, in any type of weaponry but the Lord, it is a step away from the promises of God. It's a step away from faith in God. It's a step away from victory through God. It is faith in God and his word that brings victory, not faith in the size of our army, the strategy of our army. And, you know, as strategy, sometimes it will be our ways, our lecture, our intelligence, our advantage. I mean, how many times have you thought, oh, when I tell the person this speech, you ever write speeches? I do. Or when I send them this letter or I send them this email and we write these perfectly eloquent letters and we get back something that is just like, you know, mean. We wrote this nice rebuke just telling them how low they were and how they needed to repent. And then they write us these things like, shut up. And you're like, what? How dare you? Mine was in such love. Um, We often think that that thing that we say, as women, we fight with our words, don't we? We say mean words. And, uh, And sometimes we say mean things so nicely. Wow, your makeup looks so good today. Because you've got an ugly face. I'm so glad you covered it well with that makeup. You're, you're definitely good at painting. You know what I mean? Backward compliments. I had a woman say to me, you looked so nice last Tuesday. 
oh no, there's Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday. You don't look so good on those days, but Tuesdays, that's your day. That's not how we fight. It's not what we do. And don't try to use that one. You look so good on Friday. (laughs) But we women, we often use our words. You know, I found one of, a favorite word of mine, and I don't know why, but it seems to carry so much power. And I used to use it. I stopped using it because God told me I had to. But I love the word jerk. I don't know. There's something so powerful about saying, you jerk. You know, you beef jerky. It just feels so good. The nation of Israel was outnumbered and in the midst of an intense battle. Their enemies were angry and intimidating, and the outlook for Israel was not good. But then the word of the Lord came to Joshua saying, Do not be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel as dead men. When God says, Do not be afraid, He is enabling and empowering us to entrust Him and to leave our fear behind. Joshua had faith in God's word and led Israel into battle, and God gave them a great victory. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll conclude our study in effective warfare as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.